Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to episode number 24 of the ZappaCast for September of 2015. We have a very special show for you tonight, folks, in that we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Bob Zappa, the brother of Frank Zappa, who has a new book coming out called Frankie and Bobby, Growing Up Zappa. That's going to be coming out later this month and I encourage you all to go to bobzappa.com that's www.bobzappa.com and reserve your copy now if you have not already done so. As you can hear from the interview, it's going to be quite a wonderful book and it's actually going to help fill in several gaps in our knowledge of Frank's early history. The interview is going to be broken up into two separate episodes which is something that we're going to start doing beginning with this episode of the ZappaCast A lot of people have told me that they felt that the episodes were too long and that they would like them to be broken up in smaller segments, so that's what we're going to do starting with this episode. The second half of this interview is going to be out in the next episode, which is coming very soon. So without further ado, here is our discussion with Mr. Bob Zappa, right here on the ZappaCast. And now, folks, for the main event on this episode of the ZappaCast, we are very honored to have a most special guest with us today, none other than the author of Frankie and Bobby Growing Up Zappa, Mr. Bob Zappa. Welcome to the show, Bob. It's uh, it's absolutely an honor um, to be here with you, and I guess the first thing that I'm sure our listeners would want to know is, what made you decide to write this book? I'm growing up um, as part of the Zappa family and growing up with your older brother, Frank. Well, actually, I've been working on it since uh, his death, and um, uh, it's been described by uh, the person that has worked with me on the manuscript as sort of a coming-of-age book. And the period that I write about is from the late 1940s until 1967. So that's a period that people know something about, but they don't know all that needs to be known about Frank and how he developed um, the character and the personality and the intellect that he that he was remembered for. So that's that's what I've been doing all that time, and it's taken me just that long to actually get it into. Uh, that was what that was going to be my next question is when can we expect to uh, see the book well the way the uh, production process works according to um, the person that's handling this for me and hopefully by the end of this month we will see uh, a dummy proof and then I'll go through that one more time and then once that's cleaned up and everything is Okay, there, we're going to get in the print. So, hopefully, by the end of August, the early part of September, the book will be available. The next thing I'm going to do, actually, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to work on putting up a, uh, a pre pub order link on bombsapple.com so that anyone that would like to buy the book can do that through the, uh, through the link. That's fantastic. Will the book be available through? Um, what you might call um, your, your traditional channels, I guess what is now traditional channels, like your Amazon and things like that, or will it be available exclusively through bobzappa.com? Well, I, the way we're going to do it is the first, um, I guess, I don't know what the time frame will be, but the book will be available through my website for a period of time, and then there's really no way you can't get it off, get it through Amazon. Amazon is really the you know, the giant uh, gorilla block. So we'll have that with Amazon once we have 
many and fulfilled as many orders as we can off of the website. So it will be available on Amazon, but not for um, not for a, a while. The process you're going through now, Bob, um, is, is uh, quite a familiar one. Isn't it? You were in publishing, weren't you, at one time? Yes. I was in publishing for 30 years, yeah. With McGraw-Hill, am I right? It's such a fascinating story because I, you know, we didn't really know a lot about you before. Um, So to so to read your story is kind of fascinating, actually. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions that I have about it. But uh, but yeah, you in some ways, you know, you and your brother couldn't have been more different if you tried in some ways. But at the same time, you know, you were best friends. So. Yeah, Frank and I were best friends, and uh, we were we were very close growing up. But there was a period um, when I worked for him at the Garrick Theater where it was pretty clear that um, that was not the career that I would end up in. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it explains how uh, we actually got together to, for when I was working with him, along with two other guys that came with me from California, Dick Barber and Bill Harris. Yes, indeed. There's a section in the book about that. And Barbara ended up actually being Frank's first real road manager. But um, we were different in, in, in ways. Uh, there was a period where our, we sort of diverged in our, um, I guess, intellectual growth. He was, he was taking a sort of a meteoric rise, and I was sort of plugging along. And um, I guess one thing that... that has to stand out is that I'm the only member of our family, the, you know, the, the original Zappa family, who has a college degree. Frank yes. never ended, neither did my sister and brother Carl. So I don't know exactly what that means, but there was that, that difference between us. So I ended up going into the Marine Corps. Frank, nor Carl, nor Candy went into the military, so I guess I sort of followed on a different path altogether. What's there to live for? Who needs the peace corps? Think I'll just drop out. I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig, and sleep on Owsley's floor. Walk past the wig store. Danced at the Fillmore. I'm completely stoned. I'm hippie and I'm trippy, I'm a gypsy on my own. I'll stay a week and get the crabs and take a bus back home. I'm really just a phony, but forgive me cause I'm stoned. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. 
buy some beads, and then perhaps a leather band to go around my head, some feathers and bells, and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house. That's, that's what I will do. I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band because the groups all live together. And I will join a rock and roll band. I will be their road manager. And I will stay there with them and I will get the crabs. But I won't care. Hi boys and girls, I'm Jimmy Carl Black and I'm the Indian of the group. See that it's interesting because one of the questions I wanted to ask you about was how how did Frank view your um, your your striving to improve yourself through education? Because Frank, of course, did have that famous statement on the inside of the Freakout cover of the first album: uh, "Quit school now." And I'm not sure where that came. I, I mean, I know where that came from, but I just wonder how he how he looked at your. Uh, your attempts to improve yourself. In that well, I don't think he had um, anything bad or negative to say about that. I mean, that's that was the the path that I had chosen and the things that I wanted to do with my life. I graduated from college and then I went to graduate school in Sweden and 
Uh, I think he was, I guess you would say he was probably proud that I had done that. Um, and actually, I finished college after I left him. Um, I graduated in 1960, but I left him in 1967. And again, he was, he was, he was pleased that I had done that. I made a comment that you know, I was the only one in the family to have done it. So, so he recognized you for it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Here's a here's one that here's an interesting one for me. Again, given Frank's aversion to, um, not really stated aversion to the military, but given what he's had to say about the military in various interviews, what made you decide to go into the Marines? I sort of didn't have much of a choice. Um, ah. I into the Air Force, for example. Sure. So it, uh, and I think Frank's reaction when I graduated from boot camp, boot camp his comment was, you know, I hope you kill a lot of people before they get to you. So uh, I don't think he was really in favor of it, but um, that's what I had done, and he was there to support me. Being a Marine is a huge discipline. You know, that it it requires a lot of discipline. That discipline served you well, of course, through uh, through the through your life post-military experience. I, mean, I, I think that's a... Very interesting statement. Yes, it did. It sort of gave me the grounding that I needed and that I didn't have as we were growing up. I mean, again, the book talks about the, the number of times that we moved. And I think, if anything, what the Marine Corps did was give me a bit of a home to home base, not a home, but a home base. And the, the discipline that I learned there did help me with the things that I did later on in life.
is interesting because Frank was a very disciplined person himself, of course, as as we all know. And so that that that's kind of what made me think that it must have been something in the way that you were brought up. And I know from from what I've read that uh, I mean, certainly we know that uh, Frank had difficulties with your father. I have read that you also, and I know you, you don't. That's laid out. That's certainly a big part of the book. Um, but it's interesting to to think that that discipline that Frank had, and certainly that you had, had to come from somewhere in your background, from what I can tell. Because, you know, Frank was certainly very kind of, in some ways, kind of very straight guy, considering what was being thrown at him and what he was around. You know, certainly no drugs. Um, he didn't like to be out of control ever. I mean, that's a discipline also. Well, I also think that, that a good musician people that are involved in music are mathematically oriented. They have a, yes. they're very logical thinkers, and that's the way he was, you know, for the majority of the time that he was um, performing. I mean, he, he knew what he wanted to do. He knew how things ought to go. So I think that, I don't know that we got the discipline at home. Mm-hmm. I think that there were ways that he developed it on his own, and the, the the connection between his interest in music and his his highly logical mind. I mean, some of the things that he has said that still flow around not only on the internet but just in, in print mm-hmm. uh, demonstrate how clear a uh, thinker he was. I mean, he was he was articulate. He was he was profoundly intelligent about so many things. Yeah, and that never left him, did it? I mean, it just you know he he. He remained that same, he had that same mind through, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how with artists, the way that thinking evolves over time, but Frank kind of came into his own as a fully developed person in some ways, and if anything, his views only strengthened over time. Well, I, I think that every, uh, especially in the pop music field, there are a lot of performers who come into contact with and get to know uh, other people in other fields, but Frank knew people like Bill Moyers he was friends with and mm-hmm. Haskell Wexler and people that you, know, you don't normally uh, think of as um, the kind of people that rock and roll musicians talk to or spend any time with. Mm-hmm. But he was able to do that because he could think circles around his contemporaries in, in the field of rock and roll and I think that sort of came out Except for his 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 snarky attitude at the Peter Marcy, I mean, he 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 had a very clear idea of what the First Amendment was all about, and apparently um, nobody really could challenge him. So um, he actually started to develop um, intellectually when he was, I guess, in junior high school. I mean, he started exponentially figuring stuff out. The reason for this hearing is not to promote any legislation. Indeed, I don't know of any suggestion that any legislation be passed. But to simply provide a forum for airing the issue itself, for ventilating the issue, for bringing it out in the public domain. Senator Hollings? I've had the opportunity to uh, attend a, a showing, you might say, a presentation 
of uh, this pawn rock, as they call it. In the test of pornography, one of the things to look at is that it does not have any redeeming social value. Uh, they could be an exception here because having attended that pre presentation, the redeeming social value, I find that it's inaudible. You, <laughs> I have a hard time understanding it. And Paul, since I traveled the country for three years and they said they couldn't understand me, maybe I could make a good rock star. I don't know. <laughs> but in all candor, I would tell you it's, it's outrageous filth. So I'll be looking from this senator's standpoint, not just to bring pressures, but to try to see if there is some constitutional provisions, a tax, or approach that can be used on the Congress to limit this outrageous filth. Senator Tribble. People turning into pigs and ponies. I can't let it happen to me. What is the reason for these hearings Sex. in front of the Congress? Well, Sex. thank you. I think that statement. Sex. What is the reason for these hearings in front of the Congress? Well. I'd be interested to see what toys your kids ever had. Why would you be interested? Just as a point of interest in this. Uh, well, come on over to the house, I'll show them to you. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> 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 
Now the effects of such lyrics like on the well of the child may not, not be cataclysmic. The emotional damage is more subtle. Fire and change is Thank you very much, Mr. Zappa. You understand that uh, the, uh, the previous witnesses were not asking for legislation, and uh, I don't know, I can't speak for Senator Hollins, but I think that the prevailing view here is that nobody's asking for legislation. The question is just focusing on what a lot of people perceive to be a problem, and you've indicated that you at least understand that there is another point of view. And uh, let me say, although I disagree with some of the statements that you make and have made on other occasions, I have been a fan of your music, believe it or not, and I, I uh, respect you as a true original and, and a tremendously talented uh, musician. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe I can make a good rock star, I don't know. They don't even understand their own music. There's nobody does, but they don't. They don't even know what they're doing. No. I've I've seen them a couple times. Did you times. see their uniforms? Unbelievable. Which ones? The, the red ones. All those rhinestones over their wings and things like that. Do you know what the I? Gold lame hoof covers. Unbelievable. And I think your suggestion is a good one to deflect those words. That would go a long way to satisfying everyone's objections. I All we have to do is find out how it's going to be paid for. Get back to the wimp and his low budget conception of personal freedom in just a moment. But first, welcome to What the Fuck Gwine On Here. 
a celebration of the American way of life. I see some of y'all be frowning, cause maybe you think what I'm telling you is a lie. Am I right? Let's just have a test. How many of you nice folks think I knows what I was talking about? Raise your hand up. Uh-huh. And how many think my potato been baking too long? Raise your miserable hand up. Uh-huh. Now, how many of you folks is convinced the government be totally unconcerned with the blue liberation of undesirable tenants in the condominium or life? And how many folks believe they number won't come up next time the breeze blow from the easterly direction? Let's face it, people. Ugly as I might be, I am your future. Ain't that right, Sister Abdullah? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. That's right. Senator Gordon. Mr. Zappa, I uh, am astounded at the uh, courtesy and soft-voiced uh, nature of the comments of my friend, the senator from Tennessee. I can only say that I found your statement to be boorish, uh, <clears throat> incredibly and uh, insensitively insulting to the people who were here previously, that you could manage to give the First Amendment the Constitution of the United States a bad name if I felt that you had the slightest understanding of it, which I do not, you have the slightest understanding of the difference between government action and private action. And uh, you have certainly destroyed any case you might otherwise have had with this senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Is this private action? I don't think this is our solution. Voluntary labeling is not Bend up and smell my anal It's interesting because some of the people that you talk about, um, folks like Bill Moyers, in some ways he was closer to those guys than he was to a lot of the musicians that he employed. I mean, he often said that he didn't get to have friends, but it's interesting that the people he chose to be friends with were people of that advanced intellect. Yeah, um, the, the guys in the band were 
from the band that I remember, the mm-hmm. mothers in, at the Garrick Theater and the mothers that I saw in so many other shows, they were really a, a, a very interesting group of guys, <laughs> um, but they were no intellectual heavyweights. So uh, I'm not saying anything negative about those individuals, but they were not, they didn't have the same interest that Frank did. And his interests were so diverse and he was so aware of so much of what was going on I think everybody was a little bit humbled by that that depth of experience and knowledge that he had. And it was clear when he was talking to so many of those people that they understood that he was nobody to be fooled with. Yeah, and you know, it's an, I've I've said in in um in my book that I wrote about the making of the Freak Out album, I said in some ways as he was uh, growing, and I'll, I'll go into the PAL Studios period when he was in Cucamonga at Studio Z. In some ways, it had to be something of a lonely existence to have that kind of mind in that kind of place. And, you know, and I mean, maybe lonely is too strong a word, but it, it must have been really hard for him to not be able to communicate with people on a higher intellectual level. And maybe to feel like he he had to, um, you some would say dumb dumb it down a little bit in order to communicate with some of these guys who you you knew growing up. I mean, there was a period when he had the studio, and I'd go visit with him there because I actually had, that was a period when I had gotten out of the Marine Corps and I was looking and promoted with my first wife, mm-hmm. and um, he had so many unique and, and interesting things going on. And it was it was difficult for him because there were there were very few people that could keep up with him. Yeah. That was also when we, he reconnected with um, Don Cerveris, who was his yes. high school English teacher, and uh, wrote the music for Unholy uh, Slow. And I mean, the interesting uh, reviews of that movie said that it was really a bad movie, but the only good thing was the music. <laughs> <laughs> Really knew all we ever really knew. All we ever really knew. That it was great. 
That might be fairly accurate. I, I love watching that movie, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm always waiting for the score to come up. <laughs> what do you remember? One of the things I wanted to ask is a, about a woman who actually turned up not too long ago because she, she after, as far as I know, years of saying nothing, I mean, 45, 50 years of saying nothing about Frank in public, she turned up on a PBS um, message board uh, talking about her her life, briefly talking about her life with Frank was Kay Sherman, Frank's uh, first wife. Do you obviously you have some recollections of her? But I'd love to hear just just a little bit about about Kay if you if you'd be willing to share. Um, yeah, I, I actually liked Kay a lot, and um, there is a section in the book that talks about how Kay, I think, was instrumental in helping Frank develop his. Um, his area of competency in composition. Really? And, yeah. It was a very, very interesting. I spoke with the person that uh, actually was a professor at Pomona College who allowed Frank to audit a course in composition. And this professor is um, sort of world famous. And um, after he had a chance to talk with Frank and Kay, he allowed Frank to audit the course. Um, you may or may not know Pomona College, but Frank yes. could not have gotten in there on his own. And but when he was there auditing this composition course, he stood out, and so that's that's all in the book. But Kate, she was a very interesting woman, and I, I liked her a lot. Were they? They had to be a pretty interesting man, from what very little we know about her, and we're thank God you're going to fill in some of those gaps because we know virtually nothing. Um, she seems to be a fairly, you know, kind of a a fairly sh- straight woman who kind of wanted the uh, the husband who would provide for the family and the nice house and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's a case of her not having time or interest in Frank's aspirations, but um, it, sometimes that's sort of what he kind of made it sound like but I always thought he had a, a cert Frank always had a certain amount of sympathy for her because he said uh, he called her uh, a wonderful woman that and the marriage uh, almost ruined her life so <laughs> I think what she you're absolutely right I think she wanted um, a stable relationship the, the traditional home and I think Frank wanted that too I think for both of us and also to a lesser degree but no less for Candy and Carl because of the number of times that we moved but I think for Frank it got to the point where he could not stop being who he was and the musician that he became and so I think for Kay it may have been um, a level of frustration and and a degree of impatience um, and wanting to things to to be a little more traditional and they could not be and so that's how I think the relationship ended my husband, Frank, had a very interesting gig tonight, and I'd like him to tell you about it. Can you tell me, uh, where was this dance that you played tonight? I played a wonderful dance at the, at the Mormon Church Recreation Hall in Pomona. What type of dance was this? Well, this is the swingingest dance you've ever seen, man. This was really beautiful. It was a Christmas dance, and this recreation hall was about as big as our living room. I dig it. It had a hardwood floor. It had a little stage, and on the floor they had a basketball thing marked off, 
and it was all decorated up, you know, like they really went to a lot of trouble. They had these wires going across the room like that, and millions of them, and they had these little threads coming down with cotton balls tied on the end, so it looked like snow. They had these trees, these dead trees, set up on these uh, pedestal deals all around the wall. Then they were sprayed with snow, and they had little ribbons, bows, and parasols, and little boofers, and all these things attached to them, and then they had these colored lights underneath, lighting it up. It was real, real lovely. And then they had the, the uh, when you walked into the place, they had like a, a, a beaded drape, only it wasn't beads, it was these little cotton balls like snow, tied onto threads. And then they had the big crystal punch bowls and uh, all these uh, wonderful Mormons standing around there getting ready to have this fine party. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ray told me, he says, you shouldn't smoke when you go over there, man. They, they don't like it. So I said, oh, man, he's just being too cautious because he's a pretty tame guy. Anyway, the wind blows is a fine wind with me. gap in uh, in uh, Zappa history because Frank didn't really talk about it and she's never turned up except a couple of years ago just out of the blue. Yeah, Did, I saw that entry. I that part of me would like to try to track her down but, you know, I mean, I think she wants to live a private life and so, you know, if she ever does turn up, maybe we'll maybe we'll have to get her on the uh, on the podcast, but if you could describe your father in three words, what would they be? Old Italian man. 
So he's your stereotypical old Italian man. Yeah, I mean, he came from the old country, and I actually yes. came from Sicily. Yes. Uh, and um, he was sort of a self-made man. He uh, went to college, actually. Um, you know, went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh. And I believe he had a master's degree, and I'm not sure what it was in, but he he had um, he had worked hard to achieve what he did. But I, I think that um, the time that we grew up was a period when so many people, like our father, felt that there was like a sort of an unending supply of jobs that they could take advantage of, and that's I think one of the underlying. Uh, reasons that we moved as much as he did, um, we did because I think he was trying to better the, our our family life. But um, there's only so many times you can do that before you you sort of run out of options, and I think that's what happened. One question I was going to ask: um, did, did anyone refer to the young Frank as Francis? No, I think he was always Frank or Frankie. The, the lumpy gravy album where he called himself Francis Vincent Zappa and then realised later that he was never never called that, that <laughs> that's right my father was Francis but he was not yeah no. so his yeah his birth certificate says Frank on it yep I think you were playing guitar, I think, weren't you? Was that Bob on guitar, Andrew? Yes, it was. Yeah. 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 Yeah
that's right, pull on guitar, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a song with uh, Don Vliet and uh, Frank. I haven't played guitar in a very, very long time. And, you know, I, I sort of remember that, but not enough to talk about it. Sorry. Right. sorry. <laughs> and does, does B-Fan feature much in your book? Not really, no. I, I, I talk about how he really made our time in Lancaster far more enjoyable that we have not had the opportunity to know him. He really was a, a very interesting guy. He had, uh, he was a whole cartoon of voices, and, and um, he had a great sense of humor. And um, I'm sorry he didn't succeed more than he did because he really deserved to. But um, I mentioned a few. I, I I talk about him a little bit, but um, a couple of different spots. Yeah. Uh, Denny Wally, did he feature much? Because I think he was a childhood friend of yours, wasn't he, Denny Wally? He, he was, but I didn't include him. He's not mentioned in the book, but I, I actually have had some contact with him. I'm trying to get in touch with him in Atlanta. And yeah. I just haven't gotten around to calling him. <clears throat> but Dennis Wally, Denny Wally was um, a childhood friend. Um, there were lots of guys that we knew in, in Lancaster. Uh, there's one guy named Randy Denise. You never heard of him, have you? Don't think so. <laughs> Randy's father built the first bowling alley in Lancaster. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Frank and I used to go there and bowl. <laughs> now there's a sight. <laughs> Baby, I'll let you know a little secret, baby. 
I'm getting tired of all this pee. to know Calvin at all? Yeah, um, I knew Calvin when um, we first went to New York, and it was good seeing him after all those years. And it's really you know, it's sad that someone like Calvin hasn't succeeded more than he has. He's a really great artist. It's just amazing stuff that he did. Yeah, he is a fabulous artist, and he's still going for it. I mean, he, he still <laughs> sells uh, stuff through his his uh, Facebook, and you know, he still has Calvin Schenkel artworks, and you know, Great, fabulous, fabulous artist. Come on. 
And that is part one of our two-part interview with Fob Zappa. But before we go, just want to give you the rundown of the musical selections you heard in this episode. We first heard Who Needs the Peace Corps and Concentration Moon from the We're Only In It for the Money album. We heard Uncle Bernie's Farm and Son of Susie Cream Cheese from the mono-pressing of the Absolutely Free album. We heard Porn Wars from Frank Zappa Meets the Mothers of Prevention album. Cucamonga from the Bongo Fury album. 
the main theme from Run Home Slow, taken from the 1985 Mystery Disc album. Mormon Christmas Dance Report from the Joe's Christmasage album. Anyway, the Wind Blows, featuring Ray Collins on lead vocals, recorded at PAL Studio in Cucamonga in 1963, taken from the Lost Episodes album. Mom and Dad from the We're Only In It For The Money album. Lost in a Whirlpool, 1959, featuring Don Vliet on vocals and Bob Zappa on guitar, taken from the Lost Episodes album. And for Calvin and his next two hitchhikers from the Grand Wazoo album, 1972. Keep your eyes and ears open, folks. Part two of our interview with Bob Zappa will be available very shortly. Again, the book is available through www.bobzappa.com, and I strongly suggest that if you haven't done so, you rush right to your computer and grab yourself up a copy. That's our show. Thank you very much for listening. The ZappaCast was produced and edited by Scott Parker, Andrew Greenway, and Scott Fisher. Be sure to check out Andrew's website at www.idiotbastard.com for all the latest Zappa news, and also to purchase Andrew's book, Zappa the Hard Way, the definitive account of the 1988 Frank Zappa Bar- Broadway the Hard Way Tour. For those of you interested in obtaining my Zappa books, my website is located at www.spbpublishing.webs.com, and if you order the books directly from me, I'll sign them for you. My books are also available from www.gnsmusic.com, purveyors of the finest Zappa merchandise anywhere, as well as www.amazon.com and many other right-thinking booksellers. And for more information about Scott Fisher, you can go to fishersflicker.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R-S-F-L-I-C-K-E-R.com. Scott is a very wonderful musician and songwriter, and you can check out some of his music at that website. If you wish to contact us, drop us a line at MOI1969, that's 1969, at SNET.net. On behalf of Andrew Greenaway and Scott Fisher, this is Scott Parker saying thank you again for listening. And until next time, good night, boys and girls. Thanks a lot. Good night.